0: Hello, and welcome to a free preview of Greatest of All Talk.
1: It just feels like there's a lot hanging on this pick, doesn't it? This lottery pick. And, yeah. you know, the best case scenario, people are probably a little bit lower on it, given that it's a weaker trap. But, you know, it could be something that's really important for them as they're trying to reload this talent and have people on the cost-controlled contracts. If the player just comes in at expectations, then... We're right back to that idea of like, well, the ship sailed, they missed their boat, job ja blew up the whole franchise, and, you know, it's a shame. And I feel like they're trending toward that category, honestly. Like, and, and so that's, you know, the only reason to take this uh, job is if you feel like you can be the injection of excitement mm. uh, to kind of get everybody back on track, to be the stiff taskmaster who could mm. finally help John ja Morant grow up and reach his full potential <laughs> as a leader and a winner, right?
0: Yeah, I mean, it would be tough. I, I, the appeal is the basketball culture down there is amazing. Every time I've gone to Memphis, I've come away being like, man, that was a great town. Uh, I would also retire Tony Allen's jersey if it's not already retired, and then I would re-retire his jersey on like a monthly basis at Grizzlies games and just make him a staple of the experience for everyone. Uh, the big hang up though is having that conversation with Ja and holding him accountable and just where he's at, both physically and mentally. It's like a huge variable, yeah. No, it's that's entirely possible, possible. yeah. Yeah, I'm kind
1: of betting on that because it's been an awfully long time now. Granted, he had some very dark and moody Instagram posts that made me a little bit uncomfortable this past week. It's you know, it just Uh, he's probably going through it right now because of the injury, so much time away from basketball. But he is so talented, like just in the raw talent was there at such an early age with him that I guess that's the intoxicating part of this job more than anything. And if he does come back and just figure it out and he looked pretty good in his first couple games back um, before he got injured, then you're right back in the mix. I mean, this has been a team that because they play hard, because there's nothing else going on really in that town, they can just kind of have all their guys focused on – Uh, you know, grinding, it's a little bit like OKC, like that's been a good formula. Uh, You know, Jenkins has been a solid coach for them, Uh, you know, during this window. Like, I don't know. That's how you talk yourself into it.
0: Yeah. Well, you mentioned injecting life into the Grizzlies situation. I don't know that I'm the right person to inject life into my next draft pick here. But I do have to choose the Wizards at some point oh, in this draft. No. Yeah, really, and, this early? And I mean, they should have been number one. If I'm being honest, if you give me truth serum, the Wizards are number one of these ten teams for me. I would love to take over the Wizards. But that being said, I was like jotting the Washington down Wizards <laughs> of Arlington, Virginia. You yeah. want to take over that team? Well. I mean, it's just really tough right now to see the bright spots. I was jotting down notes in preparation for the show, and all I could come up with is Dash, my hometown team, second Dash, they are ready for an extended rebuild, and that's it. That's all we have going for us because there's the Jordan Poole contract, there's the Kyle Kuzma situation, we traded Daniel Gafford, who was the only role player worth mentioning, Bilal is really starting to regress a little bit. I'm not sure he would still be the number one pick in this year's draft based on the last six weeks or so we've seen from him in D.C. Uh, I'm still a believer, still excited about the future there. But there's a lot of work to do. There'd be a lot of managing up. And right now, my spirits are pretty beaten down as a Wizards fan. So I would have to do some like self-coaching before i enter the press conference before i sit down with the leonces family before i sit down with a team i would need to work on myself before i take over the wizards and restore my hometown team to glory i don't even know it would be a restoration it might just be the first ever glory for the washington wizards at least since 78 and wes unseld um But I would do it. I would happily do it. I'm ready to take up the mantle and take the Wizards to the promised land. So uh, they're on my list. And I I feel bad that it took me this long to get there.
1: Yeah, I mean, after I graduated college, I thought about doing the Peace Corps and I applied and was accepted and had some issues come up so that they eventually like wouldn't let me go. But When you tell people you're going to do the Peace Corps, you either like, there's the like minded souls who are like, oh, that's so cool. You're going to learn so much. You're going to find out (laughs) about yourself. You're going to find out about what really matters. You are going to make a difference in the world. And then there's like 80% Mm. of the population's like, oh, so you're going to go to a country where you don't speak the language. Where there's not running water, uh, where you're gonna be sleeping on the ground, and you've just decided to do this rather than actually get a job, what's wrong with you? <laughs> I feel like that is sort of how most people would look at you for pick, uh, picking the wizards here, you know? Yeah. Very little upside, major difficulties. It does have to be a passion project, but as you just described,
0: you have no passion. A passion (laughs) project without passion is a great way to describe what the wizard's job would be, but I would still do it. I would still do it. I would be so much more excited if they would rebrand to the bullets or something. We need to like exercise the demons of the last seven years of wizards basketball somehow. Um, But a passion project without passion is what I'd be signing up for. And I would do it happily. My personal peace Corps assignment. So yes, um, Call me Ted Leonsis.
1: You got a side to Arlington, Virginia for the Peace Corps. Can you imagine? What a plumb assignment. Um, Brian Keefe. Coach of the future, are you loving what you're seeing? Benching (laughs) (laughs) Benching Jordan Poole, how's it going for you?
0: Well, that is one thing. I would not have traded for Jordan Poole, okay? So I've already got the current front office beat. Um, Brian Keefe, benching him and saying that really it's a credit to Jordan and what he's able to do with the bench units, I want to see more of that, is one of my favorite Wizards quotes of the last five years or so. And to Jordan Poole's credit, he's playing pretty well, um, at least putting together some decent numbers. They got waxed by fifty the other night against the Thunder, so let's not get too excited here. But yeah, maybe Brian Keefe is is the coach of the future. I would need to sit down with him and look him in the eye before I make that call with any confidence. But um hard to be worse than Wes Sunsell Jr. would be one way to sell Brian Keefe. So We'll see. We'll see what the future holds for my Wizards. But hit me with your next pick. Well, it's time. The Portland Trailblazers.
1: Um, This is a passion project with passion. You know, I think that I would potentially be uniquely positioned to build up enough animus among the fan base, I, I maybe leaking stuff to the, the local site, Blazers Edge, you know, with my connections there, uh, mm. potentially, you know, giving some exclusives to Sean Hyken with his Rose Garden Report newsletter, uh, maybe going on local radio with uh, Danny Meringue and all the guys there in Portland and just try to pressure my bosses to sell the team, you know, to just try to get them Lead out of there. Lead a mutiny because, on day one. I like it. Yeah. It's a sleeping giant, right? So you just got to get in the door. They don't really know what they're doing. They're not basketball people. You just got to get that franchise out of Jody Allen's hands, out of Burt Cold's hands. And, um, you know, they've shown an awful lot of patience with Joe Cronin to this point. They really care about turning a profit. And, you know, I I don't think it's that hard to sell off players and trades. It seems like pretty easy. People, there's always buyers, right? So if the only goal in the short term is to make owners money, I feel like I could probably achieve that goal. They have a couple of young pieces in place who are going to naturally grow and it's going to, you know, keep people invested. And they have an amazing asset, which so many of these teams that we're talking about don't have, which is the fan base. And the fan base will come roaring back. At the first sign of optimism, hope or, you know, extended um, vision. Right. And so the only way you're going to get there is to force out owners. And I feel like there needs to be somebody there needs to be a coup. And mm. I'm I'm volunteering for the coup, and I understand <laughs> when you put that on wax, then all of a sudden you become the guy, uh, you know, who gets, um, you know, court martialed or whatever right. they call it, <laughs> and they take you out and shoot you. So there's some risk involved there, but I feel like that's the best path towards turning the Blazers around. And imagine if I did force out the owners, got a new owner, and hopefully they would keep me on. They wouldn't just like kick me to the curb, right? Because I had accrued enough power locally. Mm. Um, we're talking statue, potentially, 15, 20 years down the road. <laughs> oh, like,
0: wow. <laughs> the, the guy who saved the team. Yeah. No, it's a, it's a really great point. I think you, as an individual, going from Blazer's Edge blogger to Sports Illustrated to the Washington Post to going back home to take over the, the crown jewel of Portland and restore it. Uh, it could make for a statue in the end. So would you fire Chauncey Billups on day one? Uh, pre-day one. That'd be part of my, uh, you know, you were having
1: ultimatums, him or me with LaMelo. That would be part of the deal. It's like, look, I don't want to have to you know, start this with blood on my hands. I don't need a ritual coach firing to start my uh, tenure. Go ahead and take care of that before I get there. Go ahead and put in an interim coach, probably Scott Brooks, perfect mm. interim coach, and then <laughs> I'll, be an uh, I'll handle the... <laughs> I'll I'll handle the new hire this summer.
0: Yeah. No, I think that's fair. uh, Chauncey was on a podcast with Matt Barnes and Steven Jackson recently, and I saw a clip of him saying that NBA history might have been different if Carmelo had gone to the Pistons and Chauncey and the rest of the Pistons had been able to coach up Carmelo early. Like, Carmelo then would have been able to go toe-to-toe with LeBron for the last 20 years. That... (sighs) If you're in a position of power and influence in b-ball ops, that particular take might on its own be fireable. And juxtaposed with the rest of Chauncey's performance in Portland, I feel like it's time to make a clean break. Probably best for everyone up there. Honestly, the Blazers as a destination would have been higher on my list. They were last on my list solely because of how screwed up the ownership situation is. I have no idea what's going on. Every time there's an update, it's like weirder than the last one. And I just there's no timeline for any sort of resolution. And all of it just would give me pause before committing to joining that organization.
1: Yeah, I mean the other big hang up is the arena deal and obviously your deal with that in Washington right now. The Blazers just extended their lease with the Moda Center, formerly the Rose Garden, so they're going to be there, you know, te- technically locked in for a while, but it's going to be one of the NBA's older buildings. They've already gone through the whole refurbish, refresh thing multiple times with that building. At some point it's going to feel like a barn. I don't think it's there yet, but you know, as these buildings get built so quickly now around the league, it's kind of keep up with the Joneses. And trying to get a new building built in Portland, even if you're self-financing it, would be incredibly difficult because the local government is just so good at not doing anything. They're incredible you know, <laughs> at stopping everything with yellow tape. So um, that's another big concern for me as well. Like I would not only have to have a coup within the organization and push out my bosses, but I'd also potentially potentially have to get like three or four friends to load up on the city council. So we'd have the votes to just push through some like $3 billion arena that nobody needs and nobody really wants to pay for, but is required to be able to compete with other teams
0: around the league for talent. So Mm.
1: a lot of challenges, but I'm up for the task.
0: Okay. Well, my next pick sixth on my board was the Houston Rockets Houston is a great city, as we've already discussed. The roster, I'm pushing back on that. Okay. I don't know
1: if Houston's a great city.
0: I don't know, man. It's just... I don't know. Well, so here's the thing. You live in Southern California, where it's warm all year round. It's cold in D.C. for at least three months a year, so... Every time I've been to Houston, I'm leaving cold D.C. and flying to warm Houston. So it's probably getting a bump for me because I'm visiting in the winter months. I'm not there in the summer months when I can imagine it's pretty miserable. So I think that's actually fair pushback. Houston is an okay city. Calling it a great city is probably a mistake. Either way, though, it's not the worst city in the NBA to be headed to for a new job. Uh, And so I would— Well, definitely—
1: If you're comparing it to Detroit, you know, or some of these other ones, I get that. But, you know, people always say, oh, LA, if they want to hate on LA, it's like, oh, the traffic, oh, the sprawl. And it's like, hey, if you want the traffic and the sprawl without the beautiful ocean views (laughs) and that nice crisp breeze coming off of – the Pacific ocean. And then you also want to just have 120 degree heat all summer long. <laughs> Houston's your place, right? Like, I don't know. It's kind of a tough spot. I mean, obviously great rap culture, like you mentioned, incredible food scene, I think in some, uh, unexpected ways, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. It just goes on and on and on. And it's very, um, confusing to drive around in, you know, they got all these different toll roads. You feel like you're going to get pulled over every five seconds because, they're trying to charge you to use any of the freeways. I don't know. This is, um, you know, kind of hacky commentary on the city. But I would love to hear from some Houstonians who are really proud because Stand my favorite up. part of Houston's <laughs> my, my favorite part of Houston's Galveston. You know, let's go down there mm. and see some shorebirds. You know, let's go to the, the ecological <laughs> reserves. Let's see some uh, pink uh, roseate spoonbills. Uh, let's see some houses on stilts. You know, that kind of stuff is interesting to me. And uh, you know, outside of Bucky's, really, what's there in Houston?
0: Well, so here's the thing. We're nearing the end of the list. Okay. So it's Houston, Toronto and Detroit. Toronto, very overrated as a city. It's very popular to talk about how much you love Toronto. Listen, I've been to Toronto. It's like a knockoff version of New York City. It's freezing cold, like seven months of the year. You got to go through customs every time you fly in and out of there. It's expensive as hell. The tax rate is insane. I don't want to live in Toronto. And the Pistons, you know, if I told Alice we were moving to Detroit, I don't know that I would definitely get a divorce, but divorce would be on the table. It would be part of the discussion if I tried to pitch that move. And no matter how much the Pistons were paying me for that job, it would be part of the discussion. So I think relative wow. to those two options. No
1: respect for Michigan. <laughs> yeah. No respect. I, yeah. You guys can
0: live in Ann Arbor. It's beautiful. I that's not a bad idea, actually. I loved my time in Ann Arbor. Um, <laughs> but in any event, with Houston as, as my fourth draft pick here, Amen Thompson has really started to come alive over the past month or so. Very excited about the future for him. Jabari Smith, pretty streaky offensively, but seems like he's going to be a solid starter for basically any team you're going to build. And then Sengun... We went over this back in, like, November. He's the small fry alongside medium fry DeMontis Sabonis and large fry Nikola Jokic, and the small fry is pretty good. You know, the rest of that roster has a number of guys that I would be open to trading on day one if I were taking over the Rockets, but the cupboard is not entirely bare, and you've got some Nets picks to look forward to and betting against Sean Marks over the next couple of years, not the worst thing in the world either. So I do think that there's a little bit of hope for them to get it together somewhere along the line over the next two or three years.
1: Yeah, it feels like Tillman um you know has kind of maybe not been as prominent this past year than he was previously. That would have been my huge hang up previously. I just don't want to deal with that guy. Just too much of a live wire. You know, a little bit too radioactive during the pandemic. You know, he gets rid of basically everything good about the franchise. Um, that felt like a a real warning flag. You didn't mention Jalen Green as you listed off like nine guys. And I'm obligated <laughs> to ask you, do you still believe in Jalen Green? Because for years you kept asking me, do you still doubt this guy? Do you still doubt this guy trying to play catch me, catch me, you know, trying to get mm. me to say something that's going to go viral. It's absolutely whack behavior by you for four years straight. I just want to let you know, you've heard of the 50-40-90 club, correct, for for scores? Yeah. Where 50, 50% shooting, 40% three-point shooting, 90% free-throw shooting. That's incredible, and it feels like it's becoming a little bit more common because we have so many amazing offensive weapons in the NBA right now. Jalen Green right now in the 40-30-80
0: club. I was so going to guess almost, 40-30, yeah. <laughs> that yeah, right.
1: almost <laughs> 50-40-90, but 40-30-80, really impressive.
0: All right, and that is the end of the free preview. If you'd like to hear the rest of this episode and get two episodes every week from me, Andrew Sharp, and Ben Golliver, you can go to greatestofalltalk.com and subscribe to the show.